uncompromising courage. The first section I titled this, Faithfulness and Favor. Faithfulness and Favor. So how is Daniel going to respond? He's 14, maybe 15 years old. He's out there on his own. What will his response be? We read this in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. This is an interesting stand. And initially, we read this is just Daniel. A few verses later, we see that his friends join him in this conviction. But initially here, you have Daniel taking a stand. And these verses spark a bunch of questions for me. What is it that he feels so convicted about that he says, I, I, just, I don't want to participate in the king's food or the wine that he, that he gives? Why would that defile Daniel? Well, the food, as we saw last week, was no small thing. Think of coming out of a city that's been besieged for months and months and the starvation that Jeremiah spoke about that was taking place within the city. Now, all of a sudden, you are, you are eaten like a king. You are set before you the choicest foods of the land. Anything your heart desires is now provided for you. It would be like going to the White House and walking into the Oval Office with the president and saying to the steward in there, I would like a T-bone steak. And this is how I would like it. And they bring it to perfection. It is the best food served as if you were receiving the food as the president of the United States. This would have been mind-blowing for these young people to experience. And pretty overwhelming when you think there is no more parent standing beside the junior higher and saying, enough, you can't eat any more of that. No more Cheetos, right? Or you shouldn't be drinking that, right? The king's wine. They were given the king's wine, which was a potent uh, alcoholic uh, just overload. And there's, there's no one saying that you shouldn't be drunk, right? This is godless pagan Babylon. And so imagine all that was potentially unfolding before their eyes as their peers begin to indulge in this food. Daniel said, not going to do it. Not going to do it. It's interesting. What was the defilement in view? Well, there's a lot of discussion about it. I tend to land at the place that the ESV study notes land in, in your study Bible Um, three things that kind of stand out to me. One, dietary. If you're a Jew, you already have very clear food laws in in view. And uh, bacon is on the menu in Babylon, right? There's no concern about not eating uh, certain animals or split hooves or this, that, and the other. They eat what they want. Um, So that may have played a a bit of a a background issue. Certainly there was some food that they would have had to reject if they were going to remain faithful to the Lord. But I think there's more than that. Because they said the wine. We reject the wine as well. Well, there's nowhere in the Bible that God's people are told to reject the wine. In fact, wine was a part of the worship um, in in offering to the Lord um, some of those sacrifices. So I'm not sure that it was only a dietary restriction. Otherwise, the wine is hard to explain unless they were under a a Nazarite vow, for example. That, That would have been restriction from wine. Um, some say, you know, it's idol sacrifice. It's certainly a pagan king with this choice food is going to be giving uh, sacrifices to idols either from what is brought or uh, including in what is brought has, has already been sacrificed to pagan idols. 
And that would explain maybe a little bit, although how can you know for sure that the zucchini wasn't offered to the pagan idol as well? Like It's hard to say, well, it was only the meat and not the veggies. Um, so that's less compelling, but maybe involved a little bit. I think this one is where it really kind of lands um, to see this defilement, this foreign dependence. How far will I be assimilated? How far am I willing to go to lose my entire identity in Babylon? So this is, I think, the defilement. It's really uh, Daniel and his friends now drawing a line in the sand and saying, nope, nope, we're we're just not going to do this. We're not all in here. We're going to retain some distinctiveness. Sure, we didn't have any choice. God gave you the victory over our king. God gave you the, 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 the temple elements that you took back to Babylon. He even allowed you to take us from our home and exile us out to Babylon. None of those things we had in, any control over, but we do have control over what we put in our bodies. We're going to choose to not partake. Hmm. You know, the other interesting thing that I, what just struck me as I was studying chapter one is the names. Going back to last week and and the identity, and how they were going at their identity by changing their names and purposely mocking um, the, the removal of any reference to the Lord himself and replacing it with pagan gods, right? Note this in chapter 1, at least. Repeatedly, their Hebrew names are used. So it's very possible that not only did they reject the food, but they also rejected, or at least among themselves, referred to themselves by their Hebrew names in worship to the Lord keeping some distinction even in a foreign land. This is for faithfulness to God. That's that's how it's framed. If we go down that road, we will be defiled before our God. We will not do it. And so they make this decision. Now, here's what I find fascinating about this. It's not just resolve, like blunt force resolve. We're not going to do it. You guys do what you want, but we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to starve ourselves to death until you give us what we want. No, it wasn't approached like that. Daniel is one of the incredible examples for us in the scriptures of, of a man who is wise, who is resolved, but also tactful. He's, he's shrewd in the way he goes about achieving what he wants. Is he going to compromise? Absolutely not. He won't. But he doesn't wield it. He doesn't become a jerk in, 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 in the court cause problems just to be a, a, a rebel, per se. So, listen to how this goes. I, I think it's connected here to the next verse. And God gave Daniel favor. So who, who gave the favor? God did. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink for why should he see that you were in worse condition than, when, uh, than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? And I remember when I first read that, I'm like, that doesn't sound like favor. Like, I, how does this connect? Well, it's helpful to see these words. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Here's, I think, what took place. There is a whole group of young people who are indulging. They are all in. They hold nothing back. Bring it on. We're eating. We're going to eat like kings for three years. And here comes Daniel. And he requests 
that they provide them something else. The food of the poor is really what he was asking for. Vegetables and water. We'll get to that in a minute. This caused this chief of the eunuchs to see a man of conviction, I believe. To, to, to respect a man who was willing to, to stand up and say, no, I, I can't compromise my beliefs. I, I'm going to stay true to my God. So favor or loyalty was given from this man to Daniel, and compassion and mercy. So this, this question, well, Daniel, I mean, it's, it, you almost said this, I, I want to help you, but if I do, I'm going to lose my head. So what, what am I supposed to do? This puts Daniel in a challenging position. The guy really did care for him and esteem his conviction. The problem is, is that it was a problem that wasn't going away. It's kind of a big and obvious thing. Every single meal, veggies, I was thinking about having the, uh, the kitchen helpers today replace all the muffins with carrots and celery and replace all the coffee. Here's the, here's the one that really would have done it. With water, just water and veggies in the, in the pass-through today. I thought, man, that would be a dangerous thing to do to a congregation. <laughs> Don't do that. So this is what is being proposed now, there is something also to be said here about Daniel in his persistence. It would be so easy for Daniel to say, or his friends even, to say, well, we tried. I mean, we tried. The guy said, if he does what we're asking, he'll lose his head. So, well, I guess we eat up. I guess that's just what we got to do. We just, just eat the king's food. That's not what he did. There is for us an example in this. If at first we don't succeed, then step back and say, okay, Lord, Obviously, we will not compromise. So how can we come at this in a different way? What, what's another approach? What's a solution that will accomplish this guy keeping his head and our vegetables and water? So you see this unfold. The calorie contest is what I'm calling it. Daniel proposes a calorie contest, verses 11 through 14. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. This was his request now. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. Oh, wow. He lays the gauntlet down right there. So he... That is the steward of the chief of the eunuchs. Listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Note, note the change here. Sometimes, uh, even some commentators I was reading, they didn't distinguish between these two men. This is not the same person. It's a different person. So the chief of the eunuchs, in a sense, says, my hands are tied. Where do they go? Well, they go to the guy who's under the chief of the eunuchs, who's a little bit more directly involved with the, the working out of the details. They go to him, the steward of the chief. And this is where they propose the plan. So this guy keeps his head, and the steward is able to kind of undercover accomplish this request. And they give a very specific plan. It's not just, this is where we're at, you figure it out. No, it's, it's here's what we're proposing. They're coming with a solution. It's a bold plan at that. A 10-day calorie contest. And they want to pit the king's food against vegetables and water. Well, I mean, even we know 
that if you count calories long enough and you start adding calories here and you, you add calories here, it's no contest. Here's the thing that we fail to remember sometimes. We tend to think in the mode of dieting, like what is going to cause a loss of weight. Well, in that time, that was called poverty, right? If you, if, if you were skinny, it's because you were poor. So it wasn't esteemed to be skinny back then. If you were fat, you were wealthy, and you were well off, and you were, you, were, you were well taken care of, well cared for. These men coming out of Jerusalem would have not been carrying a lot of extra weight in their entrance into Babylon. And then all of a sudden, boom, 10 days of the king's food. This is a serious contest that is being leveraged. The gauntlet has been laid down. Vegetables and water. Okay, now let's just talk just briefly here. There's this thing called the Daniel Plan. Has anyone heard of that? Rick Warren, Saddleback Church. Oh, come on. You, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I see that hand. We bought the book. We did the Daniel Plan. 40 days of pain and hell, basically. Was, that's what it was. And, and you can ask my wife. I was miserable. For some reason, my whole family, extended family, they all thought, well, let's all do the Daniel Plan. It didn't work. And it wasn't just vegetables and water, right? There's no bread that you, you well, Daniel plan, at least you can have some bread and this, that, and the other. So we got to remember, this is a serious high bar that he establishes. You can't even have tomatoes, technically, right? That's a fruit. So think of what they're eating, Right? No sugars, no, no additives, nothing, nothing beyond just vegetables and water. And here they are. Now, you've got to know this wasn't the easiest because just down the table, the smells of bacon and the meats and the steaks and the king's food, here they are, and they're gnawing on a piece of celery. No peanut butter. <laughs> vegetables and water. Do the math. Ten days, here's the other thing. After ten days, there's not a, a stark difference than, than, than there was at the beginning of ten days. Even if you're on an extreme diet, ten days usually doesn't have a marked significant change. It takes longer than that. Well, this is why I think they laid down the gauntlet. Now, this may be more the prayer that we tend to pray. It's a plate filled with bacon with a little sliver of lettuce on the top. Lord, please bless this salad to the nourishment of my body. Amen. Right? Nathan's with me on this. We tend to say, Lord, take this, what may not be the healthiest food, and make it healthy. Lower the calorie count, right? So that we can enjoy this bacon, and we'll put a little lettuce on top and call it a salad. Um, in this case, it was just the opposite. The prayer of Daniel and his friends was, Lord, take these vegetables and bring the calories. Help us to, to end in a place stronger and fatter than those who are gorging themselves on the king's food. That's the craziness of, the, of this strategy. This is, this is not a diet that you take on to gain weight. And that's exactly what it was. So at the end of the day, I think what this is is a straight-up trust and total dependence upon God. Sometimes people say, well, vegetarianism is a truly holy way to go. And I think that's wrong. I'm not saying that you're wrong if you're a vegetarian. I'm just saying that there is nothing more holy in vegetarianism 
than there is in the sheet coming down and saying, eat up, bring on the bacon, right? So we, we, we've got to remember this. What they are choosing in this moment is a path of dependence because there is absolutely no reason why those vegetables should, should bring about the result that they are planning and praying will come. It's an amazing thing to really stop and, and consider what's going on. It kind of just reminds us that the God who is sovereign over nations and kings is also sovereign over kale and carrots, right? I mean, God is not just at work in big things. He is at work in the small things, even vegetables. God is at work in, and he can take those vegetables and make them run in ways that are just not expected. Supernaturally sustained. Verse 15, supernaturally sustained. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. See the, the, the value there? Fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Man, they win. This is a win. And ultimately, it's not because of them. It's not because of the vegetables. It's because of God. That, th this is an unwinnable proposal unless a sovereign God lands that in the way that they were praying he would. And he did. Someone also mentioned that the steward took away their food. So here it is. He's the steward under the chief of the eunuchs. This guy keeps his head, and the steward probably eats like a king, right? I mean, this, this guy takes away the, the, the food is provided, the drink is brought, and then he replaces it with veggies. So he probably ate like a king for as long as they did this. This is brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. It was wise and shrewd and tactful, and they kept their character without compromise. Their convictions stood. It's a good example for us. The faithful four. I want you to think about the pressure that this would have been. Oh, friends, how hard it is to stand. And especially when it comes to a, a huge area where the, the smells of good food and the sounds and, and all of the, the looks of that food, and here they are, they're eating faithfully to obey the Lord, to avoid defilement. They stay true to God. Four out of the whole group were faithful. One of the things that strikes me in this is that God's people will often find themselves few in number, as opposed to the masses, right? And, and friends, in this country, more and more. In this state, more and more. We are not the majority. We will increasingly experience the, 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 the smaller number are those who stand faithful. This should not discourage us. It should encourage us because God is there with us. He is faithful. He shows himself faithful even in Babylon, right? God is not limited to, to Jerusalem, or to the southern kingdom. He can do his work anywhere, especially for those who look to him in faith and obey, uh, obey him. Better in appearance, fatter in flesh, this is God's doing. This is his accomplishment. It just strikes me here as well, there is great value whenever we eat 
in acknowledging the Lord. When you pray before you eat, this is not just habit. Don't, don't allow your pre-consumption prayer to be just mechanical or habitual. You have to work at this, right? There is something so just sacred and special about saying, Lord, I am about to eat this food, and you are about to do what I can't. You're going to take it and turn it into nourishment that will sustain my life. You're going you're gonna to make me continue to live. You're going to hold me up through the nourishment of this food, and I live on you like this food sustains me. Man shall not live by bread alone, right? And so we're reminded. We thank you for the provision. We thank you for what you do as we eat. We pray, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified in this meal. Again and again, at least three times a day. Not saying you eat more than that. Just saying those prayers should be so established as a, as a kind of a marker of your day. Do everything you can to defend that regular, systematic, daily acknowledgement of God. As for these four youths, God gave them learning. You might circle that words, those words, God gave, God gave. There they are again. You'll see this throughout all of Daniel. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. He's still alive. He still has his head. And he brings them in, delighting in what he sees. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like, here's their Hebrew names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. They had a special place of prominence among all of those who were brought in and entered into the school of paganism in Babylon. What an amazing display of God's sustaining grace, of God's work. God gave, God gave. Remember, every gift you have, every skill, every ability, everything you're good at, when you do it, the things that you you find joy in, all of that sources from God. It all comes from God. Even when you've worked hard to learn a trade or a skill, it all sources back to Him. He gives. He gives. And He is the one who is to be glorified. So kids, when you're playing soccer and that ball goes in that goal, the first thing you want to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Right? My healthy body that was able to kick that ball into that goal, thank you. It's good. Acknowledge Him. When you're promoted at work, when you experience advancement, when uh, your business is, is taking off, acknowledge Him. Point to Him. Thank Him. He is the God who bestows those things. And they are given for His glory. God gave. God gave. God continues to do this, doesn't He? He continues to give. You think in our lives how He works in these ways? God gives. God gives. What do you have that you have not been given? And if that's the case, why do you boast as if it wasn't a gift? From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Remember these words. To Him be the glory, now and forever. This is Christian just expression. It's not just in the songs we sing. It's Monday morning at work. 
and all week long. They graduate top of the class. I can say that I have not experienced that before. Um, I wasn't at the bottom of the class. I was that AB guy, kind of right in the middle, just barely got those gold cords that everyone wears at the graduation. I just snuck in on the, on the just barely got that. And then, and then top of the class, I was always amazed at this. That I was struck by how brilliant some of my friends were. Just, just to watch them do assignments that I was just like, my brain is melting and they're already done. Um, where does that come from? God. Those gifts are God's. They graduate top of the class. Now here's the thing that could have happened. Oh, they honor the Lord all the way through. They eat the vegetables. They, they follow a, a careful course. They experience advancement. They graduate top of the class and become puffed up in pride. And they forget the God who gave. And they begin to think of themselves as pretty impressive. And they begin to think of their classmates, all those compromisers, as losers and less thans. And they fall on their face. Friends, one of the most dangerous things is to succeed. You've got to be on guard. One of the most dangerous times for your soul is when things are going great. Don't forget the Lord who brought you out of the land when your barns are full and the, and the flocks are grazing. Keep Him in view. When He blesses, acknowledge Him and stay dependent upon Him. They graduate top of their class. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, that's godless paganism, and the enchanters, that's satanic darkness that were in all of his kingdom. Why? Well, because God, that's the difference. God is in the mix. And then this footnote here, Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. That's an incredible number of years. A platform that comes with a purpose. Just struck by this. This prophet was raised up by God to spend the bulk of his life in exile. He, he, like, his work took place under total godless pagan kings. That's where God ordained that he would be for most of his life. That platform came with a purpose. And just the opposite of what Nebuchadnezzar wanted, he wanted to assimilate him so that he would leverage him against God's people and, and give Israel loyalty to Babylon. It just, it just flipped it on its head. He was used powerfully to encourage God's people, to strengthen them, to show them what it looks like to be faithful to God in a foreign land. We can learn from this. When God gives a platform, it comes with a purpose. That purpose is trust God, glorify God, point others to do the same. Seventy plus years in exile. You, you know this, that when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he was an old man. An old man. This is not the teenager anymore. He spends all of these years in exile. Multiple leaders serving faithfully the Lord, who is his God. Response this morning, just four things come to mind. There's many other ways that we can see these words land in our lives. One I was thinking is this. You are not too young or too old to be used by God. Young people, listen to me. You are not too young to be used by God. 
One of the things I always loved of, of my parents as I grew up in the church is they never told me, hey, listen, you know, grow up and be an adult, and then you can have a hand in the work of God's kingdom. It was never like that. We were involved from early ages, serving and helping and working. And, and then as we came up through, there was a broader use and broader in, in involvement in the church and service and leadership. You are not too young or too old to be used by God. Think in the scriptures how often young people have tremendous impact on the kingdom of God. So don't ever think, well, I guess I have to be an adult before God can powerfully use me. It's not true. Here's a 14-year-old dude who is leading the charge of faithfulness to God in the, in the, in the cesspool of Babylon. 14. That's awesome. That's awesome. That can be you in the school setting. You with your friends. Lead the charge of obedience to God and trust in God, pointing to Him. If you have gray hairs, praise God for every one. You're never too old to be used by God. Don't, don't ever think my best years for kingdom work are past. If you're here and you're alive, you're on the front line. Even if you can't be here and you're listening online, you know this. You can pray. You can serve. You can work in all the ways that God has given you opportunity. Think of the value of a praying group of people who are limited in their ability to move but can lift up the congregation in prayer. I hear this often from folks who can't often be here. We pray for you every day. That is so significant. You're never too young or too old to be used by God. Number two, the strongest courage always has a Godward gauge. What, what is courage? Have you ever thought, what is courage? Courage is expression of confidence. It's a, it's a confidence that is expressed or made visible some way or another in a circumstance or situation. Well, what is confidence? Confidence has to source somewhere. There's a wimpy confidence that looks in. The world says, well, look into yourself. You look at yourself. You have all you need. And I'm like, I really don't. I, 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 I don't know about you, but when I look inside, I don't feel that way. Where do we look? Look to the Lord. Source your confidence in Him, and you will be a person of courage. You will walk differently in this world. When you lock eyes with a God who is sovereign, a God who is over the nations, who sustains you and knows you and loves you and upholds you, you will be strong in courage, come what may. Courage sources from God. Number three, we can be both resolute and respectful. We can be both resolute and respectful. God's people have a unique challenge in that we are to be a people of conviction, of deeply rooted, firm and established, unshakable convictions. And at the same time, we're not supposed to be jerks, right? It's like, so when the political world spins up, there is a decision to make. What kind of people will we be in the public square? Are we going to be the angry conservatives who are just, oh, I'm about to blow up? No, not for believers. We are to be those who are resolute and respectful. Daniel is such a great example for us in this. But just remember, 
that doesn't always work out great. Even Daniel. Like, it's not, we can't just, uh, you know, politic our way through life. We want to be respectful. We want to show forth the fruits of the Spirit. But they put Daniel in the lion's den, right? So even respect has its limits. And then there's a point where resolve has to just continue to carry. So you never compromise to try to appease, but there is a way to stand firm and show the fruit of the Spirit. That is our call. Have firm convictions, but we can discuss, we can disagree, we can interact. Um, Have firm convictions and love those who are in the dark and lost and need Christ. It's good for us to be reminded of this as we make our way closer to another election cycle. I can't say I'm looking forward to it in the work that is necessary, but I, I do look forward, Lord willing, to some change that will come from it. Number four, God is the giver and his gifts have a goal. God is the giver. This is such an important thing. We live for the glory of God. That is why we draw breath right now today. Every day he gives has a goal and that's that we glorify him. Every gift that he's given you, everything you're good at, it's from him. He is the author. He is the source. He's the one who bestows. He's the one that gave you the brain that you applied to learn your trade and your skill. So glorify him. Bring him glory. Point others to see that. As they recognize that, as they point that out, bounce it straight up to him. Look at what you did. This is, this is God. His goodness to me. His grace. His kindness to me. I want you to know him like I know him. So, there's some points of encouragement. There's so many things we can glean from Daniel's life. We just encourage you to, uh, as we journey through here, don't just learn the stories and see how he responds, but then pray, Lord, help me to grow. Help me to be your man, your woman on this planet, in this place for such a time as this. Let's pray. Oh God, we are those who delight in your faithfulness. We have tasted of it ourselves. We have seen you show yourself faithful time and time again. Oh, Father, we repent and we confess the the many times we walk through life with just a failure to acknowledge you. How often we just take a bite of something and don't remember that is a gift from your hand and, and it's going to accomplish what you have designed it to accomplish to sustain and nourish us and, and keep us on this world to point for your glory. I thank you for Daniel and his friends and the courage and conviction they've shown. I pray that we would similarly be people of, of resolve with firmly established convictions rooted in your word, that we would be an uncompromising people. Oh, Lord, help us to shine in that. Help us to be wise in how we do that. Never to give up and say, well, we tried. No, but to keep at it and to find a way to be creative on how we can stay true to you in an increasingly godless age. Lord, thank you that we're not alone. I thank you that it's not just for but, but here we are, we're together in this, that we can encourage one another to be faithful, to obey you, to, to walk with you, to shine and, and stand out. We pray that you would use us like you used Daniel in the place that you put him, Lord. Use us to accomplish your kingdom purpose in this place for such a time as this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.